are Black Friday people, or you used to be, where you'd get up really early and camp out. We got some Black Friday people in here. Yeah. You know, I'd rather pay the extra money myself. I just, that just, I know it's the adventure of it, I, but it just doesn't, just doesn't ring my bell. Uh, how many of you have become more and more online shoppers? Yeah, yeah. To me, if you've ever been out around the mall at this time of the year, around Christmas time, that will make you an online shopper in a heartbeat. Just will. All right, we got lots to cover this evening, so let's try to do a really quick uh, update or quick uh, kind of recap, and we'll try to get into something new. Last week, we talked about one thing, which means we didn't make a whole lot of progress last week. Uh, we talked about the parable of the dishonest manager. The parable of the dishonest manager. There was this master who had hired this manager to manage all of his goods, all of his property, all of his, his household people, everything. He was just managing. He was a business manager for the master. And the master determined that the manager was not doing a good job. He was mishandling his goods, mishandling his property. And so he calls this manager to give an account, to give an audit. Come and, and I'm, I'm going to audit you and then you're out of a job and he's going to fire him. And the dishonest manager freaks out. He panics because he knows he's going to lose his job and he's too prideful to beg and evidently he didn't feel like he had the stamina to do manual work and he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. Of course, there's no retirement plans, there's no 401ks, and so he's kind of panicking. And so he comes upon this idea that what I can do is I can pull in all of my master's uh, debtors, all the people that owe my master money, and I can just slash their bills. And then when I lose my job, they will be grateful to me for cutting their bills, and maybe they'll show me a little favor, and I'll be able to get through. In other words, he's thinking ahead to the future. How am I going to manage the future? And this is how he does it. His master finds out that he has done this, and he calls him in, and you would expect him to get a blessing out. And the master commends him for his shrewdness. And which to us just seems weird. It just seems like, like the Bible is saying, hey, if you want to get ahead, be dishonest. That's not what it's saying. He didn't commend him for his honesty or his dishonesty. He commended him for his shrewdness. And, and what we discovered was the master was saying, you took what you had and you planned for the future. Now, the way you did it was not good, but he commended him on thinking ahead and planning for the future. And so what we decided was what Jesus was teaching us about, and he goes on and spells it out pretty plainly. He said, you know, the children of this world are much wiser in using the dishonest mammon of this world, the dishonest goods of this world, than the children of light are. And so he goes on to basically say, as followers of Christ, you need to use what you've been given because we're all just managers. We're not owners. We're just managers. So whatever you've been given, you need to use to prepare for eternal futures. You know, follow their example, not in being dishonest, but in using what you have to prepare for the future. It was a great example. And, and then he goes on to talk about, he urges them to use this. And then he's thinking 
okay, now there's going to be somebody out there who says, well, I just don't have that much to start with. And he goes on to talk about it's not about how much you have, but it's about how faithful you are with what you have. And then he warns them against trying to serve God and money. And at that time, the Pharisees are listening. He's talking to his disciples. Pharisees are listening. They take great offense to that. And Jesus spends some time talking about how the Pharisees have used the law to their own benefit. And one of the examples he uses is divorce. And so that's about as far as we got last week. You know, some of you are out there thinking, it well, it took all Wednesday night to do that. You could have just taught it like that and we'd have been done, right? So maybe we'll try to speed things up a little bit. But then we did these takeaways. First one, what we have doesn't really belong to us. I know it feels like it does. It feels like we've worked for it. It feels like we've earned it, but it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to our master. And we are to use what has been given to us to further his purposes, not our own. Now, that doesn't mean that he, doesn't, he expects us never to use what we've been given for ourselves. That's not it. But a lot of times, that's not the problem. We are way more focused on ourselves than we are on the master. And so what we have has been given to us to use for his benefit more than ours. Other takeaway, when it comes to the investment of time, talent, treasures, because that's what we've been given, so that's what we have to invest, make sure that you're investing as much or more in God's kingdom than in your own, which is really, really hard because we tend to invest in our own. You know, some of us, like myself, we're already building our Christmas list, right? I figured out that if I build my Christmas list in Amazon, if I make a wish list in Amazon, then my family can just go to the wish list and find out what I want. And I'll get something that I want rather than something I don't. Isn't it amazing how easily it is for us to pour so much effort and energy into ourselves? It's so easy. But what we've learned from last week from the dishonest manager and from some other passages right after that is that we're to invest as much if not more in God's than we do in ourselves. Another takeaway, when it comes to our possessions, it's not about how much we have, it's about how faithful we are with what we have. And you don't have to have a lot to be faithful. That's an important piece. You don't have to have a lot to be faithful. I think I told you when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples and they come in and we start talking about budgeting, they'll say, oh, we don't have that much money to budget. And I said, well, that's why it's even more important because you don't have a whole lot to waste. So... You don't have to have a lot to be faithful with what you've got. All right, one more takeaway from last week. When you're more interested in justifying yourself than purifying yourself, something's wrong. This was the Pharisees' problems. When he, Jesus is talking about money, and they, as Scripture tells us, they are lovers of money, then they jumped in to begin to justify themselves. They used the law to justify what they were doing rather than let the law tell them how to live. And so they figured out how to turn the law and make it say what they wanted it to. Any of you raised children who were experts at finding the loophole? Yep, yep. Any of you raised children that when you asked them a question, you had to make sure you asked the question just in the right way or you weren't going to get the information? Yeah, yeah. Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees were doing. And... Uh, 
I could tell you stories, but we won't. We need to move on, all right? So let's talk about this this evening. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus. This is a very interesting parable. Jesus moves into another parable. And the context has not changed for some time now, and maybe it's just because I'm going painfully slow, but the context hasn't changed for several sessions. The context is still that these sinners are coming to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders don't like it. They take a personal affront to the fact that sinners and tax collectors are coming to Jesus. This is still the context of it. And remember that Jesus has just taken the Pharisees to task for their love of money, for using the law to rationalize their own purposes, for using the law not to follow Jesus. He's already taken them to task. So keep that in mind as we go through this parable. That's going to be really important. So look at Luke 16 and starting in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously Every day, not just some days, but every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He wanted scraps. He desired to just at least have the scraps. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. All right, let's stop right there. And we'll start looking at what's going on. At the beginning of the parable, Jesus introduces two characters. And they're really two characters in contrast. He introduces this rich man and he introduces Lazarus. And listen to the contrast. The rich man was clothed in in great clothes. And and Lazarus was clothed in sores. The the rich man was well fed every day. And Lazarus was begging for scraps. The rich man has this nice home. Lazarus is in the street. You see the contrast? Jesus is a masterful storyteller. So he's given you two characters in this story, and they're like polar opposites of one another. Okay, now keeping in mind the context in which Jesus is telling this parable, remember the sinners and the publicans and the tax collectors are coming to Jesus, and the religious leaders are taking offense to that. Keeping that in mind, who do you think he was referring to with these two characters? This is not that hard, okay? No trick question. I'm not trying to trip you up. Who's he referring to? Who are the two characters symbolic of? Right. The rich man symbolizes the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Lazarus symbolizes the tax collectors and the sinners that are coming. Right? This, is, this is how Jesus is setting this up. And the Pharisees would have known that in the context in which this was happening. He would have known that Jesus is drawing these two comparisons. Uh, now, do you remember what the religious leaders felt about their view on riches and wealth? Do you remember what they thought about that? That's right. If you had riches and wealth, that just showed that you had God's favor. Right? And so when they heard this story, they're thinking, well, the rich man, he's got all this great food, he's got all these clothes, he's got this nice house, God must be blessing him. What would they have thought about Lazarus? He was a sinner. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in this condition. Only sinners would wind up like this. God would not let someone 
who loved him and, and was righteous wind up like this. It's a funny that they don't remember the book of Job. It's so amazing that they don't remember that. But this is what they would thought, you know. So they would, they would have seen this story one way. And because of that, they would have been completely upended at the next part of the story. The next part of the story would throne them completely. Look at verse 22 of Luke 16. Verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, before we dig into this too far, I've just got to say this. These passages, these verses are not there to give us an in-depth theology on heaven and hell. They're just not. All right? I mean, you might get some glimpses about both of those, but that's not the purpose of these passages. You can't read too much into these about heaven and hell and try to extract a theology about heaven and hell from these. Jesus is using this story to make a specific point in a specific context to a specific group of people, namely the Pharisees. All right, so keep that in mind. Now, when Jesus starts a story about the rich man and Lazarus, they're already formulating in, his head, in their head, the rich man's righteous and God's blessing him and Lazarus must be a sinner to, to live that way. And then he gets to this part of the story where Lazarus dies and is carried by the angels to the side of Abraham and the rich man dies and goes to Hades would have completely messed them up. It would be a total shock for the listeners that this poor wretched man was with Abraham and the rich man was in Hades. That it would have just unnerved them. There's a show on, uh, there's a series on Amazon Prime called The Man in the High Castle. Anybody seen it? It's an interesting series. In this series, they, it's, they speculate what it would have been like if Germany and Japan had won the wars. And so the United States, half of it becomes under Nazi command territory, uh, under Nazi rule, the other half under Japanese rule. It's a very, but it's unnerving to watch. It's just unsettling to watch. That's not how it's supposed to be. This is be the feelings that the listeners had when they heard this part of the story. It just would have upended them. Uh, now, note just a couple of things. Abraham's side is kind of a reference. It's a broad reference, a vague reference to heaven or to where people go to be where God is because Abraham would have been where God is. So that's kind of a broad reference. Hades is actually the Greek term for the Hebrew term Sheol. Now, the Hebrew term Sheol means place of the dead. And we don't know a whole lot about it, and, and, and the Greek term, of course, New Testament is written more in Greek rather than Hebrew, so they would have taken the term Sheol, translated it into Hades. Now, we don't have a whole lot of specific information. We know that it was a dark place. It was supposed to be a place of the dead. It was believed to be under the earth. You would have to descend into it. Supposedly, there was bars. You couldn't get out of it, uh, it and, and it was a place of judgment a place of torment, place of fire. We'll see that in, in this passage here. Much of our views about Sheol have really been colored by Greek views about Hades. 
All right, and that's about all I'm going to give you because, again, we're not getting into the theology of these things. But look at verse 24 of Luke 16. And he, meaning the rich man, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames." But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. All right, so let's stop here and let's digest this piece just a little bit. The rich man is asking for comfort. That's all he's asking for is comfort, which tells you how agonizing where he is must be. You know, if, if just one tip drip of water on your tongue is something to be desired, that gives you a reference on how bad it is, right? Okay. And, and here's what we know. The justice of his current situation was established by his actions and attitudes in life. I mean, he says, hey, you had this, he had that, and now it's this way. It's not random. And we also know this, that once there, it's impossible to change locations. That's all we know. I mean, you can't read much more into it other than what the text says but it's impossible to change locations once you're there. All right, so let's go a little bit further. Uh, look at the rich man's response to that statement. He calls out to Abraham. Abraham responds. Look at his response, verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. All right, let's stop there for a second. Notice that the situation of the rich man and Lazarus has been reversed. Notice how they've been reversed. Uh, one was in agony in life, now he's in comfort. The other one was in rich comfort in life, now he's in agony. In life, Lazarus was the one begging. After life, the rich man is the one begging. So Jesus is weaving this story, and he keeps doing these compare-contrast kind of things with the rich man and with, with Lazarus. And Hades is so horrific that the rich man wants Abraham to send Lazarus back to the rich man's home to warn them of what's to come. Abraham points out to, that his family members have more than enough information and more than enough warning through Moses and the prophets. And remember... This is targeted to the Pharisees, right? This story, in the context of the story, it's targeted to the Pharisees. And isn't it interesting that in the story, Abraham tells a rich man, they have the law and the prophets. They, they have more than enough information. 
Don't you think that was a nice dig to the Pharisees? Look, you guys are professors in the law. You've studied the law. That's all you do. You have enough information. And so the rich man feared that they wouldn't listen to the law and the prophets. Which, again, is a parallel to the context in which Jesus is telling them. And the reason is because the Pharisees weren't listening to the law and the prophets. But they would listen to, the rich man thought they would listen to Lazarus if he returned from the dead. Now, here is the punchline. Verse 31, this is the punchline to this whole story. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Boom. You know, you've heard the old term, mic drop. That was it. That was it. And man, I can't imagine how hard that hit when he dropped that last line. Because remember, you've got sinners and, and tax collectors flocking to Jesus, and, and they're in a bad way. You know, the, the Pharisees look down on their nose like they're just cursed. And you have these Pharisees that are well-to-do, and they always have lots of food, and, and they have lots of money, and they're doing what they want to. And they know this story is about them, especially when Jesus starts saying they have the law and the prophets. And, and so from the context in the moment, from the context in the moment, here's what you can draw about our context. Just think of these as kind of mini takeaways from just this passage. Don't assume a person's standing with God by their situation or their circumstances. Man, and it's really easy to do that. But don't, you, you can't, you cannot, you cannot assume a person's standing with God based upon their circumstances or their situations. Uh, it's really easy to do that, to kind of talk down to people, and they must have done something. You know that whole thing in Job, but, well, you must have done something wrong, or this wouldn't be happening to you. That still lives today, but you can't use that. That's just not, you couldn't judge Job by that. You couldn't even judge Jesus by that. Jesus was crucified as a criminal, and yet you can't judge his standing with God based upon his situation and his circumstances. And so... We can't do that with anyone else either. Here's another short mini takeaway. Pay more attention to the heavenly benefits of investing in others in this life. Pay more attention to the heavenly benefits that come from investing in others in this life. I read this story and I kind of, part of me wants to say, I wonder what, how the story would have been different if the rich man had invited Lazarus in. The rich man had fed him. The rich man had given him clothes. If the rich man had invested in Lazarus, how would the end of the story have been different? You know? Now, I know that it would be really easy to take what I'm saying here and get off into a, well, you're talking about works theology. You're talking about you get to heaven by your work. No, that's not what I'm, I'm not talking about heaven and hell. I'm talking about the difference between sinners and Pharisees, the rich man, Lazarus, how we view people, how we treat people. So, pay more attention to heavenly benefits of investing in others in this life. Another mini takeaway. Life after this is set. There are no changes and no do-overs. Just aren't. That's why we got to get it right here. 
The Pharisees, while assuming they were favored by God, looked down on their nose at the tax collectors and sinners. And while they were ignoring the law and the prophets, what the law and the prophets were telling them to do. Isn't it amazing? They felt like they were right. We know the law. We know the prophets. We're looking down on our noses at the sinners and the tax collectors. And yet, that's not what the law and the prophets told them to do. And isn't it amazing that you can get so locked into something you believe from here that you're actually working against what you believe from here? You know, I, uh, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but there's a lot of stories I've told I shouldn't tell, so this will just be another one. Uh, I was always one of those parents that said, my children are not going to do fill in the blank, right? Staunch about some things. And so one, one Sunday night, this was when we were still having Sunday night church, I came home from church on Sunday night, and there was like a plague of teenagers in my house. I mean, they were like locusts. I walked in the back door. They had their head in the fridge. They had their head. They had one guy in my freezer pulling out like pizza pockets or something and saying, hey, you're about out of these. Can you get some more? I mean, that's what was going on in my house. Funny thing, that kid just sold me my last house. Uh, I mean, I'd come home, and he's sleeping on my couch, you know. And so, yeah, he, the last house I sold and the last house I bought, he did it. But anyway, uh, I come home. They're all hanging out everywhere. They're watching TV. And I, I walk through the living room, and they're watching an R-rated movie. And I said, I would never let that happen in my house. And not only that, but when I walked through the living room, the sex scene came on. Okay? They don't pay me enough to figure this stuff out. And so in that moment, I'm thinking, I know what I've always said I would do. I should go over, shut down that TV, say, this is not going to happen in this house. Tell them why it's wrong and turn it to the Disney Channel. But as I'm racing, the, as I'm running the numbers in my head, I realize I can do that. And if I do that, I can make it happen. It's my house. I own the house. I pay the rent. I, you know, it's mine. I can make that happen. But what's going to happen is they're going to quit hanging out at my house. They're going to go to one of their friend's houses where it's okay. So that means I can't stop them from viewing it because they can just go somewhere else where it's easy to view. And not only that, but they'll be going somewhere else where I don't know what's going on and, and, and what they're doing and who they're seeing. So I let it play out. I left it on there. And all, it was funny because all the time my kids are looking at me like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And so when the sex scene was over, I hit pause. And I said, do you guys, are you guys really so stupid that you think that's how that works? And we had this great discussion. And... They kept coming to my house and eating my food. And I have absolutely no idea where I was going with that story. I had a perfect plan for that story. I really did. Uh, but I don't. I just, it's just, I've totally lost it. So you get that one for free. Yes? Legalism. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Let's go with that. Legalism. 
man, I'll, I, I will go home tonight and I'll be getting ready for bed and I'll go, that's where I was going with that story. I know that's what will happen. Uh, let's talk about a bigger context for this story and, and then we'll move on a little bit. Some people just refuse to be open to something. Despite the evidence, despite the information, some people just refuse. If you want an example of that, turn on your nightly news. Just turn on your... Some people, you cannot... You, you just can't argue people into the kingdom. You just can't. I know some of you like apologetics and, man, you want to... I, I used to be one of those guys. One time, the, uh, the, it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. They came to our door. And, I, man, I'm young in the faith and I'm fired up. And so I'm engaging and man, I'm debating, and I'm arguing, and I'm pulling out scripture, and I start looking, and the car that's supposed to pick them up just keeps circling, you know, and I'm holding on to them. Finally, they're saying, we just got to go. Please let us go, and I did not argue a single one of them into the kingdom because that's not how it works. It's just not how it works. And, and the Pharisees were so entrenched in what they thought was right. I got it. Sometimes you can be so entrenched in something in here and, and not figure out you're wrong. That's where my story was going. Thank you. Whew, I feel better now. Uh, but you can. We can get so entrenched. Uh, man, I, I could give an example, and it'll offend somebody. I'm sure it will. Uh, we can be so entrenched that you should be in church with your best clothes on. Suit and tie. That's how you should be here that we lose the joy and the celebration when lost people come in no matter how they're dressed. There's an example for you. Uh, you don't want to see me in a suit and tie because somebody's either getting married or buried, one of the two. And uh, you just it's better if you don't see me in one of those. But, but that's an example. There's tons of other examples we could probably conjure up. This is where the Pharisees were living. And this is why Jesus tells this story about rich man and Lazarus. Okay, before we go any further, questions, comments about this story? Because it's kind of a tough story to, to figure out. Fred, I do wonder from time to time. I heard this pastor from North Carolina, no, from Alabama in a North Carolina church, make the comment, and I may repeat it here before when I do, I apologize in advance. If you are a believer, life on earth is as bad as it Oh, that's a good point. If you're, if you're a non-believer, life on earth is as good as it gets. If you're a believer, life on earth is as bad as it gets. That's a great, I've never heard that before. That's a great perspective. It really is. It certainly worked out for Lazarus, you know. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Being in the Lord, I've learned to um, let things go like that and to pray about it and read foolishly to understand what your kids are about to go through. Yes. Because you being an adult, you done been through. So, therefore... Pray for them and hope that they come 
Well, that is a great point because the point you bring up is this point about dealing with people with understanding. Rather than judgment, trying to understand where they are, why they're that way, you know, what they really need. Do they really need a lecture from me or do they need something different? Uh, and, and I asked my kids one time, I said, why do your friends keep coming to the house? Because your friends live in the richer parts of town. They have pools and they have game rooms and they have, we have like 1,400 square feet. Why are they coming to our house? They said, we don't know. We try to get them to go somewhere else too. <laughs> but they keep wanting to come back here. So it just, when, when you deal with people based upon understanding of who they are and how they are and why they're that way, the rules don't mean that much. And besides, I used to have a pastor in Texas that used to say, why do we expect the dark to act like anything but the dark? You know? So if that's true, and I believe it is, then learn to live with the dark so that maybe they will learn to live in the light. And, and this is what the Pharisees were having difficulty with. They were just struggling. How can sinners and tax collectors be coming to Jesus? That's just wrong. He shouldn't be hanging out with them. And they could not get it. Someone else. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, my challenge to myself is get rid of the negative stuff in my life and my attitudes because people are watching A. B, it's not of God. It's the enemy attacking me in the places where I've been hurt and wounded. So I'm just bringing those areas to the Lord and letting him heal me and he changes me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that I, first of all, you, you, can't, you can't get rid of all the negative. You just can't. He can, but it, it, and if we had time this evening, as we got further into this passage, you'd find out that we still have to, we still have to dance with the negative. I mean, it's still going to be there. Now, yeah, we can retune ourselves. Some of us are a lot more negative than we should be. Right? And, and, and it doesn't do us any good. And we can retune some of that. Um, but it's it, the example of if I can get out of myself, like the near-death experience where someone rises and, and can get out, of, get out of yourself, then you can kind of see some of this. The Pharisees just couldn't get out of themselves. Um, going back to the little incident in my house, it was like a near-death experience for my wife because when we started talking about sex, she goes, I'm out of here. And she left. And we had to tell her, it's not your time yet. You have to come back and deal with this. Uh, someone else? Let's do a few takeaways. Since we're, I don't think we have enough time to get into the rest of the stuff that I wanted to get into this evening. Uh, 
So here's one. We'll jump past this one and go to this first takeaway. I say we will. There we go. The afterlife is the great equalizer. It really is. Your standing in life is no indication of your standing in the next. Your standing in this life is no indication of your standing in the next. Is that what I said? I went past it, didn't I? Maybe this will make more sense. If it doesn't, I'm out of luck. The afterlife, it's not a great, it's the great equalizer because your standing in this life is no indication of your standing in the next. And, and that's so hard for us. I mean, we have this Protestant work ethic. You work hard, you get this stuff. You don't, you don't. And uh, it's kind of like we touched on last week. It's like the story that Jesus told about hiring people throughout the day and they all getting the same pay at the end of the day. It just doesn't seem right to us. But God works on a different economy than we do. He really does. So this idea that, that the harder you work, the more you get, when it comes to heavenly things, that's not exactly the way that works. All right, now let's go to this one. This life is just groundwork for the next. So make it count by investing who you are and what you have into more than just yourself. Notice I didn't say don't invest in yourself. I said invest it in more than just yourself. Invest in the lives of those who need to see God through you. We are managers. Again, what we've been given is for investment's sake. All right? Actually, I think that's the only two I want to give you because the others I have go with what I want to teach you next time. Uh, so, questions, comments? I may let you out a little early this evening because I just can't get into the next piece of Scripture. There's too much there. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but that's harder, that's easier said than done. That's, that can be really hard to do. You do, but sometimes I pass by the mirror pretty quickly because I don't like what I see, you know? Uh, remember when we read these stories, it's really easy to read them like from a 30,000 foot view just kind of disconnect from the story and just say, oh, those Pharisees, I can't believe they're getting that. Well, yeah, no wonder the, the sinners and the tax collectors were coming to him and, and, and to read it kind of objectively. But the next time you read a story like this, put yourself in the story and say, which one of these characters am I most like? Now, I would want to tell you, well, I'm most like the sinners and the tax collectors running to Jesus. You know what? If I'm honest, a lot of times I'm more like the Pharisees. And so I can read this story saying, look how Jesus took those Pharisees to the woodshed. Good for him. Or I can say, 
that's me. That's me. And now the story not only comes alive, but tromps on my toes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Paul said the things I need to do, I don't do. The things I don't need to do, those are the things I do. We all wrestle with that in various ideas. A lot of us are going to be wrestling with that about next Thursday at this time, you know. Uh, And we'll believe it's holiday, so it doesn't count. And then we'll have to wrestle with it the next week when we step on the scales. I get it. But, and it's not, we use that verse a lot to to apply to us. Well, even Paul said the things he needed to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't do. It's really hard to apply that, though, to the person that's getting on your nerves. You know? And so if I get the luxury of camping out on that verse and hiding behind that shield, then they do too. So now I've gone to meddling. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Uh-oh. Say that again. You know, that's a really good question. It was the first one was like a watershed mark for me. And after I made a stand on that one, uh, I probably didn't make a big stand about them. Because, again, to be honest, one thing that took me too long to learn as a parent are there some things that I want to control that I can't. I just can't. I told my kids one time, I cannot stop you from drinking and driving, and I'm not going to try. And they looked at me like, you're crazy. You're a parent. You're not supposed to say stuff like that. And I said, absolutely, I can't stop. I'd have to be with you 24-7, and I don't want to do that. That just doesn't even sound like fun to me. But here's what I can do. If I know you're out drinking and driving or drugging and driving, I can call the police. You would not do that. Absolutely I would. Why would you do that? It's my car. It's my insurance. It's my liability. You get to choose what you're going to do. I get to choose what I'm going to do. And, and it is really poor use of our energy trying to control things that we have no control over. The Pharisees are trying to control who's coming to Jesus. They have no control over that. And it didn't get them anywhere. And we try to control all kinds of things. What kind of music people listen to, whether they drink or not, what kind of clothes they should wear when they come to church. We, are, we love control. We are all control freaks to some degree or another. And we who believe that we have surrendered complete control to Jesus like to keep as much of it as we can. And that tends to get us in trouble. So that's a really long-winded answer to I don't know the answer. I don't. After I made a decision, then we were already headed down that road. And I'm not saying that's the decision to make. I'm not telling you to go home and let your kids watch our read. I'm just saying that was something I had to deal with. And I've learned that rules don't shape people as much as relationship does. And that's what the Pharisees didn't get. I mean, bring it back to this story. The Pharisees were about the rules, and Jesus was reaching people with relationship. And they said, that's not how you do it. Absolutely, that's how you do it. I mean, God reached out to Abraham, this father Abraham in this story. He was a pagan idol worshiper. 
And God struck up a relationship with him. It's amazing. Adam and Eve mess up big time, wreck the whole plan, and God keeps relating to them. People don't get changed with rules. They get changed in relationship. And our kids don't get changed with rules. They get changed in relationship. And now I've gone to chasing a rabbit that I probably don't need to. So let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful that you want a relationship with us because we know that we're not neat and cleaned up and pretty. We're messy and sinful and all kinds of things. And the fact that you still want a relationship with us just baffles me. But I am so grateful for it. Because apart from that, we have no hope. And Father, help us to remember that the same grace and mercy that we take comfort in needs to be distributed to others who aren't there yet. We are not hoarders of your grace and mercy. We're not to be anyway. We're to be distributors of it. That's what the Pharisees didn't get. Help us to get it. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.